Hi, this is Tom Hickman, Director of Engineering and Infrastructure Planning in Bend, Oregon. This is the podcast that is a resource for any city that wants to transform their community through communication. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. We are dedicated to sharing stories that demonstrate how communication and collaboration move things forward. If you want to overcome your challenges, then you have to build relationships. Each week, we bring you an inspiring person or resource to give you the tools to curate connections with your customers that create impact. If there's one thing I can be certain of when it comes to you, it's that you love water. And if you're a water utility looking to manage your water you love, then you'll want to talk to our friends over at MasterMeter. They understand that you can't manage what you don't measure, and smart water management begins with accurate measurement. Account for every drop produced and delivered because the utility's progression towards smart cities and IoT begins here. We're trying to be the game changers of communication and our partner MasterMeter is here to deliver game-changing results for you across finance, customer service, and utility operations. They offer an array of products to meet your utility's needs. To determine which smart metering solution is right for you, visit the h2duo.com slash MasterMeter. Whatever they taught you in school, the engineering portion of it is value, but you cannot take that and put it out there in a way that everybody else has to accept it because you said so. There's another piece to engineering here, and that's dealing with the community, working with the public, and getting them on board on these projects. And if you don't do it, you do it to your own peril, and you, you will find yourself in very uncomfortable and difficult situations that you're gonna regret. Thanks for tuning in for episode 19, which is a continuation of our conversation with Tom Hickman from Bend, Oregon, which began in episode 18. So if you haven't heard 18, I suggest hitting stop, going back and finding that one and listening to it first because you really want to hear the beginning of this journey. So in episode 18, we ended with Tom talking about his experience of being taken to district court due to what the judge deemed as their lack of due diligence regarding public involvement. And he talks about how the engineering portion of what our industry does is no longer enough. We have to be communicating and creating a mechanism for public feedback. So we start off part two of this conversation with a question about the IQ-EQ equation. So the idea of blending the engineering, science, finance side with the emotional intelligence that's required to move the industry forward with the public and the community and communities that they serve. In this segment, we're also going to be talking with him about how this whole transformational experience caused them to hire differently, the technology that they're using to make their projects more transparent, what Tom calls creative firing, we'll touch on affordability, and we end with a story, one of our favorite news stories about the power of coffee or beer, pick your beverage, coffee or beer diplomacy. So without further ado, let's get to the show. So... Kind of what you're saying is making me think of uh, this presentation that we saw George Hawkins give at Imagine H2O in March, where he was talking about the IQ EQ equation, where you have the IQ side that's kind of that's where the engineer and finance and technology is all in, but the EQ side is that communication piece and knowing how to engage and get people on board with what you're trying to accomplish and the critical importance of being able to be skilled kind of on both of those levels, sides of the equation. 
So what do you think the, what do you think a way there, what do you think the way is for engineers to learn more of that side? Or is it more of getting the right team together to handle that side, but getting them to work together and respect the value of each side of that equation? Um, well, I do, I, I think it's uh, twofold. Um, one, um, I, I think there needs to be some curriculum added to the engineering uh, side of, of this. We, yeah. we have to um, pull in uh, engineers to in, in the, during their uh, course studies into the idea of working with the public. So that's, to me, is part of this. But having said that, um, I think uh, a lot of engineers, um, I, I, we've all heard the joke, I think, um, how do you know an, uh, an engineer is an extrovert? You know, they look at your shoelaces instead of their own. Um, <laughs> so, um, so engineers typically, they're kind of wired to, they're not really social creatures. Mm -hmm. um, they're certainly not political creatures. They went into engineering often because they didn't like those things. Those, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, if you don't like those things, and um, then you have to understand then that you have to develop a team um, in order to, ad to address those things. And so that's one of the critical things that we do now. Um, so one of the things every new hire, uh, I hire everybody in my department at every level, um, we have them do the strengths finder. I don't know if you've ever yeah, done yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. we, we have them do strengths finder so we can find out what their strengths are. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you look, guess what? Engineers have very similar strengths. Um, and they also you know, you don't, what you don't see usually are those kind of social um, things rise to the top for them. Um, so that's one of the first things is, is when you're looking at your team and we have everybody do this is when you, you have a project, the very first thing you do is you develop a charter and in your charter, you have very specific roles that need to be met. One is working with the public working with the community. If you don't have somebody on your team that has that skill set, you have to get them. Mm. So before you ever start the project, you're identifying what you need. Um, and then the other thing that we do here and everybody in our organization, we just went through this, um, we do the DISC assessment. And, yeah. yes. mm -hmm. and so, um, and that also helps with understanding kind of the strengths and, and what, people are bringing to the team so that you that's how we develop our teams now is that okay do I have everybody from every quadrant of the disc do I have people that have very different strengths than my own um, on my team is it all there and so um, that's, to me, how we address this. That's how you, every, pro I, I, and this should be, in my opinion, this should be done in every engineering firm. Every engineering firm, when they do a project, this is how they should be bringing a project together and not just from the, well, we have the best engineers in the world. Great. 
<laughs> um, I'm glad you do, um, you know, but I also need some of the best communicators in the world to get any project done. And if I don't have them, I'm going to fail. Yeah. And you do this in the interview, the disc assessment and the strength finders. Yes. We, wow. when, we hire, when we hire somebody, that's the very first thing we have. Okay. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm going to take that little snippet of talking about needing the best communicators in the world and replay that over and over and over and over. And over. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. So I feel like we've been kind of internally slow clapping the whole time, but during this point in the presentation, um, I really feel like we were physically holding each other back from not, from not standing up and slow clapping you while you were talking about this. Cause you talked about transparency. Um, and, you know, you said make decisions in full public view, offer timely response inquiries and communicate. Um, golly, like so many, so many, like we could have a whole podcast episode on this issue alone, but I'm going to start with how, how do you guys truly make your decision making process transparent? Like, what does that look like for you? And then I have another question, but I'll let you touch on that one first. Yeah. Um, so uh, th there's we we've dealt with this different ways, um, but for for me, um, when I say fully transparent, it means um, acknowledging that I, as an engineer, as a director, as a manager, I'm bringing bias to the table. Mm. It may be well informed bias, but it's bias. And you have to accept that, admit it, and then understand that the community and different members of the community have their own bias. Mm -hmm. You as an individual may not view it as well-informed, but it doesn't make it not powerful. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you better, um, in my opinion, you know, when we talk about transparency, it's, it's, admitting to the public, yes, as a manager, I am bringing bias to the table. And so when you're presenting a project, you, you, you put those things out there yeah. for the public to see, you know, so for, to give you an example of this, I'm, I'm working on another very high profile project right now in our community. Actually, we have several, but this one in particular is very contentious. Um, and uh, it involves sewer, and um, there's uh, a lot of uh, members of the community that are really upset by this project. Um, in fact, uh, almost 400 people showed up at our city council meeting this last Wednesday night. Wow. Um, so I will tell you um, what's amazing about just that alone Think about 400 people from a community showing up to a city council meeting to discuss an issue over sewer. That's oh my amazing. gosh. Um, <laughs> that, that, that to me is actually fairly powerful. Yes. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Um, what we heard wasn't necessarily comfortable. Yeah, sure. But we were very transparent in here's what went into what we're providing. So uh, in terms of our recommendation, so admitting, you know, um, for me, hey, putting in lots and lots of sewer pump stations is not a good idea. And I have to say that I tell people, but that that's my bias. That's, I don't 
and, and I can back it up with numbers and studies and all this stuff. I can, I, but I'm, I have to tell them that. And yeah. that's being, that's that transparency of just saying, so look, I, I can offer all these reasons. Um, but when we put that kind of transparency out there to the decision makers, um, to our elected officials who ultimately they're the ones that are making the decision. That that's the other piece of this is that as directors, as managers, we ultimately really aren't the decision makers. It, it's it's the elected officials that are the it's the public that's the decision making body. So you know, understanding that and bringing bring your information forward of yes, you could do this. I don't recommend it. Here's why I don't recommend it, but it is an option. Um, and <laughs> you know, and and I think too often what we do as engineers, as directors, as managers is we take those things that we see as, hey, this is a really bad idea. We don't want it. We don't even bring those to the public. We don't bring those to the decision makers because we said, we, we just immediately say, well, it's a bad idea. Well, it may be, but bring it forward. Yeah. Put it out there. Right. And, and then let the public scrutinize it publicly. And if you don't have the evidence to back up why it's a bad idea, well, then shame on you. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's yeah. it's not the public's responsibility to do that. That's yours. Yep. So that's what I mean by transparency. I will also throw in quickly, um, in with water and sewer and stormwater, um, there are new tools available to us, and utilizing these new tools to help us. Um, make decisions I think is critical and one of the things that we can do with these new tools is these tools actually expose bias they actually um, offer a great deal of transparency and we've utilized these new tools in very public settings mm -hmm. where we allow the public to put their values in not just mine mm -hmm. and so um, that way they can see you know why something is picked with different value sets. And we can then, it, it opens up a discussion to say, well, why did that solution get picked over another solution? And, and so we can have that discussion, which is really transparent in itself. It's a really good thing. But more importantly, we can also then use these tools to say, well, what, how would I have to change my values to get a different outcome? And you can then start to see how, how much do I, you know, how much do I have to game the system to get a result that I want? And the public gets to do that too, mm. right? Yeah. And so that's a pretty interesting way to bring about transparency. Can you give any examples of those tools? <laughs> I, I can. Okay. Um, so, so the one that I use, and I, I'm not a salesman, I'm not a spokesman person sure, yeah. for them i uh, utilize their product and um, you don't have to say the company name if you don't want or just the idea well, well it's a yeah, software it's a it's a software tool yeah and okay. and uh, the software tool um actually it, right now and i've looked at a lot of these it's the only one out there that actually can do this and what this software tool does is it uses genetic algorithms um, to uh, 
optimize hydraulic systems. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, the, this, this firm that has developed this technology, they, they were the founders of it going back to, I think, the, early, the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and uh, this technology is used pretty widely in like Australia, New Zealand, Europe, um, America, as we are, we are late adopters. Yes. And, and uh, <laughs> we have, we, while more and more people are using this here in, in the United States, um, 10 years ago, it was hardly used at all. Yeah. Um, and what the what this tool this 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 software tool allows me to put in my my value sets, and then it uses these algorithms to generate results. And so you can kind of see well what happens if I put in a different value set. Well, I get different results, and that's why I'm saying that that's the kind of tool I'm talking about, mm -hmm. where I can put in my value sets and I'm going to get one result but somebody else can put in their value sets and they can get a different result. And yeah. what the discussion that happens, is, in my opinion, is kind of transfer, transformational because the discussion that results isn't an argument about the, any individual project or, or result of projects. The, 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 the conversation steers around values. Yeah. Isn't, and isn't that what we should be doing? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Isn't we shouldn't yes. the, it shouldn't it be a value based decision, um, and that's what this tool allows you to have those kinds of conversations. And we've now repeated that uh, a couple different times using that tool and been awesome. very successful in doing it. Good, very and that's cool. you know one of our why I'm asking you is because you know our industry is just so slow to adopt the new technology, and you know for the most part. I understand, you know, why, why, but you also do have to evolve. And if you have those tools out there that can grow you like that, that's amazing. And so any small or mid-sized city who's like, or any size city who is having those fears, y'all call Tom Hickman <laughs> right now. <laughs> so the other side of that question in regards to transparency was related to, and you mentioned that some of these are some contentious projects and obviously we know it all can't be rainbows and unicorns. So how do you handle the negative Neds and Nancys? <laughs> um, uh, that's funny. Um, so, uh, I'm gonna give a little story here. Um, so as as I grew up as a kid, um, and I would run into challenges um, as a kid. My my dad always every time you know, little kid being in tears, or as I got older dealing with challenges in school or whatever, he'd always say, "You need to be more like an elephant." And I never really, I, I just kind of would laugh or whatever and, and you know, see that it's kind of his affectionate way of supporting him, but I never asked him, right? Yeah. So later on as an adult, I was like, why do you say that? Why do you, <laughs> why do you, you know, what's the deal? And he said, look, elephants have incredibly thick skin mm -hmm. yeah. and they walk through a jungle and there are sharp sticks and really sharp grass and there's bugs and critters and all kinds of things that bite and 
and it doesn't stop them. They go through that jungle anyways. And he said, they pick their direction and they go. He said, you need to be an elephant. You just pick your direction and go. Um, and so, um, <laughs> so, so uh, that's something that I have learned a lot in my career is realizing that these very negative people that you can deal with, the naysayers, the, um, the people that attack you personally, yeah. um, it's, it's usually a result of their own um, lack of understanding. It's their own fears that you're hearing. And if you can learn to step back, realize, you know what, I'm going the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Don't, don't take these things personally. Don't, don't let them get to your core. You, you know, and I can tell you, you know, it's, there's stuff online when we were going through some contentious projects for, um, I had city council members publicly on TV call me a liar. Um, wow. You know, that was upsetting to me. That really hit my core values and right. credibility. But learning to realize, hey, maybe they're saying that, but it's not to get to me. I mean, it's, it's not, they don't necessarily really mean that. <laughs> yeah. And, and learning to step back that, you know, the issue I'm bringing forward is what's contentious. The issue that I'm I'm trying to get done, that's that's really the, the thing that I'm trying to carry forward. So again, I just kind of look at any time we deal with these really difficult, negative uh, challenges we get from the community, again, you have to step back and go, look, um, I am the leader, it is my job, and I'm gonna be the elephant, and I'm going to walk through this jungle and, you know, uh, I know it's not going to be really comfortable, yeah. but at some point I'm going to get through this jungle and I'm going to get to some nice uh, watering hole and I'll enjoy it when I get there. But <laughs> my job is to go through this jungle to get to the watering hole. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And our next interview, we'll talk about what your favorite watering hole is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll meet you at a watering yeah, hole. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Um, okay. So you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier about once you became a believer of community and communications, um, and involvement. And I remember in the, the presentation, you said, you know, they had to shape up or ship out for those who <laughs> didn't quite believe, um, in the value of that. So I would like for you to talk us through what that was like and, um, Tell us a little bit more about that um, and how you got everyone on the same page with you. And then did you need to rebuild any of those relationships with those previous communicators and educators that you had on staff or within the city that maybe you blew off in the past? Um. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so people it, don't get fired in the city okay so yeah. i want to know more about this ship out shape up ship out believe <laughs> don't believe yeah well i i call it creative firing I, um 
Um, sometimes you have to help people move along. I agree. Yes. Respectfully and, retire. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's hard to do. Um, and sometimes that takes a while. But if you're going to bring about change, you have to do it. Yeah. You have to get people either to get on board or they've got to go. And um, so, you know, I think uh, it, as a manager, director, supervisors, um, it, some of the worst stuff you ever have to deal with isn't actually the public. It, it's the internal HR stuff. It's, yes. I, and that's why I started this out. If you remember when I first came to the city, the first four years here was nothing but internal battles yeah. in awful internal battles. And they didn't end after four years. The battles went on, but they started to diminish. Um, and so, you know, um, some, I, I, I give you examples of what I did with some people um, that couldn't seem to see things the way I saw it. Um, sometimes I realized, you know what, I can't, I can't necessarily get this person to change. Mm -hmm. um, if they were a person that was actually above me, that in other words, my boss or higher, um, what I did is, is I basically would tell them, so look, you're driving to a cliff and you don't even know it. Um, I'm trying to tell you to push on the brakes, but you're not going to do that. I know that. So I'm going to step off the bus <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm going to let you drive at that cliff as fast as you want to go. And I actually did do that. Um, and we actually went through a period here where um, directors were fired. Um, the entire management team got turned on its head. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in part, how I ended up in the position I'm in is, is a result of that. Um, with people that work for me, what I did is I would go to them and I would uh, using tools like strengths finder using tools right. like disc being able to show them these aren't your strengths mm -hmm. this isn't your skill set this isn't what you do well at yeah and when you're operating in areas in your life that aren't your strengths you're not a happy person right and so getting people to realize you know you would be much happier as a human being if you would choose a different career yeah um or a different field within let me steer career. you along that way <laughs> and so literally there were some individuals that i would ask them you know would you like me to help you find yeah. a different opportunity and wow. i did i would go seek out different opportunities wow. for them That's and awesome. help mm -hmm. them move along have um, you stayed in contact with any of these people or uh, some, uh, uh -huh. not, not many, sure. not all of them. Uh, no. um, <laughs> That's a hard pill to swallow. I yeah. imagine. Yeah. Um, but some I have, and, um, I actually, one individual, uh, he was an engineer, um, still is an engineer. Um, 
and he's actually sent me emails back thanking me. Wow, um, that's powerful. You know, so um, I think the others probably aren't necessarily at a point of thanking me. Um, you know, <laughs> they're still but, looking. That's okay. So, yeah. but but it's okay, and I yeah. and I. But again, you know, it it doesn't always require some sort of disciplinary right. taking these really kind of draconian tools yeah. to create the change. Sometimes it just takes being creative. Um, and, and some of it was literally modifying my organization. So realign, realigning my, my department yeah. so that um, I would change positions and roles for people. Yeah. So that again, that their roles aligned with their strengths. Yeah, that definitely. I experienced that in my, one of my cities. <laughs> um, and it was positive. You know, it was all, it was a positive um, change for me, you know, going from one department even just to another. Right. Changed my outlook and my perspective and, and made me a happier person in the end. And I still had the same job duties. It was, you know, but it just, it made a difference when someone invested that time to find what my strengths were and, and help me see, um, you know, those live out those strengths, li live them out. Yeah. Well, that's, and, and to me, again, as a director in the position I'm in now, you guys are saying, you know, trying to, you know, fertilize, raise leaders. Yeah. That's how you do it. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, that is our job as directors. That's your job. Yeah. is to raise leaders and you can't raise a leader who isn't operating in their strength. No. And as a mentor, you're not really a mentor if you're having, yeah, you're doing a great job, you know, try this, try that. That's, that's like a cheerleader. Like a mentor a asks you, a, a mentor makes you uncomfortable and challenges you and um, pushes you. Like there is an element of encouragement there, but there's, yeah. there's also that element of, um, you know, testing you by fire. I mean, that's how, that's what you got to yes. do gold and got to have pressure to make diamonds. So, yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. so um, yeah, I, I can 100% respect that, you know, no, no one wants to get fired or let go or redirected, but I'm such a firm believer in that. There's a reason that things happen. And then if you don't woe is me it and just, okay, well, here's where I'm at now. <laughs> what well, am I going to do? <laughs> Capitalize other, on that. Well, the other way to look at this as a director, um, if you don't do these things, go back to what I said earlier, the community is changing. Yeah. The workforce is changing. The, the people coming into these organizations, they expect you to take those kind of, be that kind of thing. If you aren't, if you don't do that, you will lose your job. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it, it, and it may not happen right away, but you will not be able to sustain your position if you aren't trying to bring that transformational change. It, the transformational change will be brought to you. <laughs> you will be transformed whether you want you, to or not. <laughs> you will. I, I, I mean, it, it's going to happen yeah. and people, you know, can fight or they can actually be a part of it. You have an incredibly fast-growing community that requires a level of investment, which impacts people's rates. And um, water can oftentimes 
be a double-edged sword because it costs money to produce and maintain the water that people get. But it's also regarded as a human right. You know, water is life. It's more than just a slogan. It's literally, it's life. Um, so how is your community handling that issue of cost and affordability? Um, well, it's a, it's a great one. And um, <laughs> it's something we're constantly working with. Um, we So first off, uh, go, going back to when I started with the city in 2005, we um, we only had a five-year uh, rate model, and um, that rate model was completely insufficient for really doing the financial planning that we needed to do. Mm. And so um, we worked very hard with our finance department, our legal department, um, and it this it literally took years but what we ended up doing is uh, realigning our master planning with our financial planning and tied them directly together so that we now have a 20-year financial rate plan wow. and um, what that allows us to do is to start putting projects into the rate model 20 years in advance of actually needing to do it. Yeah. So um, that allows you to see uh, rather significant projects coming, uh, for lack of a better term, no pun intended, down the pipe. Um, <laughs> so um, that, that, uh, seeing all that coming from such a long ways out, you, what you end up doing is lessening your rate impacts. And that's a big piece of affordability, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So most people can deal with and handle the inflationary increase, a 2%, a 3% rate increase year to year. What most people can't handle is when you start getting into nine, 10, 12, 15, 20% rate increases. Mm -hmm. um, that's where, you know, to me, that's where the affordability issue um, becomes really, really challenging. Um, so for us, what we had to do because we didn't have really robust master planning tied directly to our financial planning, um, what we had to do was accept the fact that we had to have very significant rate increases um, in early on, and we did. We had double-digit rate increases on water. We had double-digit increases on our sewer, um, and th that made uh, that made things very ugly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Even even if people understood the need to do the projects. Um, it made people really upset. Oh yeah. And so what we've worked really hard at is getting that down, getting uh, those rate increases down into single digits and preferably most of them down now to uh, inflationary indexes. Mm. So, um, but that took years to do. We're still not there on the sewer side. Um, you know, when you talk about affordability, how it's currently defined by the government, 
Um, I think it's EPA. Uh, it's like 2% of your income um, for water and 2% for sewer. So I think a total of 4% for water and sewer. Um, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily capture affordability. Yeah. Um, you know, because a lot of people are dealing with different economic pressures than what we've dealt with in the past. Mm -hmm. um, things are not the same. And so um, I don't know that that's actually a really good um, indicator for yeah. defining affordability. Um, and I think we need to, you know, one, start having a better conversation with the EPA about, look, the whole median income is changing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody at median income anymore may still be struggling. Yes. And op often is, right? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. Uh, you know, so so the reality is, is you know, if you look, you know, I, I just got done putting my two kids through college. Um, the cost of college now at a whether you're talking right. in state or out of state is huge. It's, mm -hmm. it's, a, and you trying to save for your retirement, trying to, you can't hardly put enough money away just to take care of your future. Right. Um, and, and most kids now can't afford to take on the level of debt of college and many colleges aren't even allowing these kids to take on the debt. So the parents Again, are forced ding, to. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's a really ugly situation when you, you we've got to look at affordability yeah. in a different light. Yeah. Um, but with all that said, um, you know, we are trying to uh, address affordability through programs that help low income. Mm -hmm. um, but even that we don't have any kind of perfect model at this yeah. point. And I will tell you, we were just talking about this uh, the other day, our sewer rates 10 years ago were about $30 per household. Mm -hmm. Today they're at about almost 60. Yep. Wow. And, um, we suspect that they really need to be at about 75 to get to a point that we can get to, a sustainable increase from that point forward. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, and I, and I would say my experience in talking to a lot of individuals across the country that, you know, that are water managers or sewer yeah. utility managers um, in talking to them, you know, what they, they're, they're struggling with this same issue. And I think the biggest issue is what I've seen um, and I hate to blame kind of past people, but I don't think our industry kept up for probably a period of about two decades. Yeah, for a kicking that of, can down the road. For about two decades, I think there were managers that really enjoyed 0% rate increases. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that went on for a long time and that, and that has all caught up with us and it has financially compounded. Um, to where we're facing across the country very significant increases and this is an ongoing discussion and needs to continue yeah. and I don't think there's an easy answer at this point. No, yeah, I have, that's, that's why I feel like everyone that I saw walked away from that conference feeling, um, first of all, very happy that it, that it felt like the beginning of a, as you say, a conversation that needs to continue to be happening because every 
community and utility situation is unique. And while we can learn from one another, you know, it, it's going to take kind of that collaboration and brainstorming of like, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, that's well, if, happen. if I could add to that real quick, one of the things that, um, you know, in our own community, when our community back in the late 70s actually put in its first sewer system in 1978, um, the funding to put in the main uh, collector lines, interceptor lines, and the sewer plant, that was 95% funded through federal grants. Mm. The community paid for 5%. Wow. Um, today, there is almost no money out there for us, for our community of our size. And I think for communities of larger, th there's no money available. Yeah. Um, and these projects, even though we've got, you know, you, you might have higher incomes and you might have more population, these communities can't afford to carry these projects on their own. Mm -hmm. And yet we are at record low funding of infrastructure, whether you're talking water, sewer, yeah. stormwater, or transportation. Um, the last I checked, we're at about 1.9% of the GDP. If you look when we often like to point to when we were, uh, for lack of a better term, when we were great. Um, so <laughs> in the 50s, um, we were at about uh, 5 or 6%. Um, of our GDP. And um, so I would argue if there was something that was great historically that we're not doing great anymore is that mm -hmm. um, we and I, I've actually met with all of our congressional leaders. Um, I've met with uh, our senators and um, for the state of Oregon and I've met with our uh, congressmen and had this discussion with them about this issue and, and telling them, look, we, we've got to change this. This has to change. Yeah. And I realize it isn't sexy, but um, this gets to affordability. You know what's even less sexy? Poop in the streets. <laughs> it is less sexy. I agree like, with you. Let's just accept like, What's the alternative? Yeah. I, I would agree with you. I just, what I would point to, and I recently <laughs> said this to one of our senators, is I told them, hey, um, the reality is, is if we make this investment as a society into these infrastructure systems, truly get the GDP, get, get that percentage of GDP spent back up, um, what you do is you create jobs right now yes in designing and building the infrastructure and you create long-term jobs that utilize that infrastructure that is the the backbone of our economy mm -hmm. and so these are investments that not only pay off immediately they pay off continually far into the future and i think we need to start changing that dialogue so, and that gets back to then helping with the affordability issue. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Preach. Um, <laughs> so I think I mentioned before that we went to um, Imagine H2O's Innovation Forum in March out in San Francisco. Imagine H2O is a, a nonprofit that is working to drive forward a 
water tech startup companies and they do this through an accelerator program that they have. And there was a panel and on that panel was, do you know Clifford Chan? No, I don't. He, uh, he's a director out at East Bay Municipal Utility District in California. And he was talking about in order to innovate because talking about technology and water is sexy that they do really like to talk about that, but you yeah. can't innovate without the right workforce. And he said that you're not going to get the best and brightest unless you innovate. But an issue that we have in utilities that is that like, imagine if you go into a job and all you see are, are typewriters and rotary phones, you know, you're not going to work there. You're going to be very clear on kind of where they are in terms of technology. Um, and he says that this is kind of what happens sometimes when the younger generations walk into a water utility and see like an older treatment plant or they see, you know, our technology, our, their version of it, technology is this handwritten valve book. And to them, that's what they are seeing. They're seeing typewriters and rotary phones. Um, you stress the importance in your presentation of embracing new technology and we talked a little bit about that and, and you know, Arian said, obviously, we understand why our industry has to be risk averse because of the impact on public health. But how do you justify bringing more technology into the water sector? Um, it, from my perspective, it's it's uh, fairly I, I hate to say it, it's fairly easy um, <laughs> it, it, because it's expected. Um, yeah. Yes. Look, we, we have customers that expect to be able to pull up online and they want to see their water use today. Yeah. They want to know what they used today, this morning. Mm -hmm. They don't want to wait till they get a monthly billing cycle to see what the past month was. Yeah. So again, it goes to part of it is our customers are looking at everything else they are able to access the information, the data, um, pretty rapidly. And in the water sector, especially in the utilities, we haven't kept up with that. Yeah. And the, the public's impatience in, is growing. So, yeah. so part of it, again, I, I say is you're, you're going to get forced to change. Um, it's, again, it's going to happen because the the public is is really demanding that and they're saying hey i want to know this i want to see this um but the other part of this is uh you know look the, the generations that are coming up they are technical users themselves and mm -hmm. um i i guess i you know i'm looking at both of my kids both in their early 20s and I feel like I'm pretty good at using technology. They blow me out of the water. Yeah. Um, their ability to access information and, and you know, truth that information, it, it, uh, they can do that at a speed that it blows my mind. I, it, it just, and so the people coming into the workforce, they're coming in and, and they're not going to accept the fact that, okay, hey, can you go through this box of logs <laughs> of historic water use yeah. and uh you know they're going to look at that and they may be willing to take that box but they're going to digitally transform that box yes and and they will do that no matter what 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and that because that's what they work and in. And they will burn that box. Yeah, they <laughs> They'll will. burn the box. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so um, so that you know, kind of embracing, in my opinion, embrace that, embrace, bring in those that workforce that can do that. Yeah. So, so how we're doing this at the city of Bend? Um, when I came to the city in 2005, myself and another uh, director, our utilities operations director. Um, here's what we were facing in 2005. Uh, there was a huge old, old file cabinet of three by five cards. On each three by five card was um, where each water meter was located, um, what kind of meter it was, um, we, when we had a line break in the field. Um, the crews actually had, if you, you might, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but there was this viewer that when you were a kid, you used to put these little slides in and you would open up <laughs> yes. the light and you would flick through, right? Yeah. Little rotary yeah. viewer. They're making a comeback. Yeah. So our, our crews would literally go into the streets and like at night, they would look up at a street light and they would flick through this viewer till they found the little microfish that showed the layout of the system that they were in front of. This was in 2005. I was about to say 2005. Yes. So I can tell you the first, the first time I saw this kind of stuff, I, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. This, I, right. I really thought they were playing a spoof on me. Um, and <laughs> they weren't, and um, and so since then, everything we have now, um, it took years, but it's all digital. It's yeah. all accessible online. Um, our crews can access drawings out in the field. Um, we have turned everything into GIS. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, it was a big investment. However, I would challenge anyone who's not there yet. I would tell them, look, when a water line breaks and it's doing property damage, how much money are you going to spend fixing that property damage? And what reputation are you going to lose saying you couldn't respond fast enough? Um, And if if you happen to destroy maybe the key business in your community in that process, Mm. um, you probably aren't even going to keep your job. So Mm. it seems to me it's a pretty worthwhile investment into the technology that we need today that is GIS, data-based information um, tied to all of our water systems. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) I'm just I'm not, I can't get over this visual of seeing your people looking up at streetlights with like whatever those things are called, <laughs> the viewers. That's it was pretty, that, yeah, it, it was amazing. <laughs> that will forever be emblazoned on my mind. I love it. Um, so wow, that's a great example of how technology is definitely great, a good thing. Um, but you know, Ariane and I are still very passionate about kind of that, that human touch. You know, we still feel like a smile, a handshake, a face-to-face conversation, even if it's in this digital version of face-to-face, uh, still go a long yeah. way. Um, but in order to be successful, 
you've kind of already touched on this, you have to have the right people in the right place. Uh, so what are some ways that cities and water departments can begin to transform their workforces? Uh, you, you touched on this with the, the DISC and the strength finders. And what if they're starting from kind of square one where you were at in that position where you had some difficult decisions to make? Um, you need to develop support. You, 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 you have to develop that support. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that I did that I, I like to use as an example, um, when we were in the heat of the legal fight on the water project, um, the community was angry. The council had shut down essentially all uh, spending, all capital spending on infrastructure. They, 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 projects that were under construction, they stopped. Um, wow. So we were kind of at that really ugly point in time. And um, that was at the same time we were pulling together this sewer infrastructure advisory group. And there was one individual on there that the guy, he could not stand me. And I really felt like I had record low support at that point in time. Um, I, I think I was negative, I'm pretty sure. Um, so so uh, here's an example of what I think people need to do, and now I do this regularly. That individual, I called him up and I said, hey, you willing to meet me for beer after work? Yes. And he was a little reluctant, but yeah, I but bet he, he agreed. And only if I get to buy my own because I don't want you to like murder me through a drink. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty like yeah. There was little trust relationship. <laughs> Poison me! And, and, disarm me! And, wow. And I actually was a little nervous that he was going to be bring a gun, but um. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, we met at this bar and uh, it, at this pub and um, had a beer and it was amazing. He actually sat in his chair so that he almost had his back to me. He, he, he was like almost looking over his shoulder to communicate with me. He would not, not face to face. And yeah. um, I just was, hey, you know. I got nothing against you. I'm I'm here. You know, what is it that you're so angry at me about? What and and, yes. and oh boy, he unloaded on me, right? And, and you were an elephant. And I, I just sat and listened. I just mm -hmm. listened and I just sipped my beer. And um when he got all done, uh I I just you know turned to him and I said, Okay, so how do we change this? You know, yeah. because a lot of what you just said isn't isn't true even about me personally. That it's not even right. like in my own personal life. I'm not that way. Yeah. But I understand yeah. you don't know me. So how do how do we change this? And right. um he was pretty negative, you know, but he basically was, you know, like, well, you know, I'm gonna he we had invited him to be the chair of this infrastructure advisory group on the sewer. And he told me he's he's going to kind of take over. He's going to take charge. And um, I I just said okay. 
um, well, I'm here to provide information to you because that's yeah. what I have. I, I have information. I, yeah. I, and what I told them is, is I said, look, I, ultimately what decision you make, um, it is your decision. I said, but what I'm going to make sure is that every decision you make is an informed one. So, um, wow. that, that's my criteria. And so anyways, we went on and we met and over the course of months, the relationship changed rather dramatically. Fast forward two years later, um, when we were finishing that sewer master plan, he was one of my, and still is one of my biggest champions in the community. Wow. He is, yeah. he, he basically, you know, acknowledged he was wrong and said, man, you know, this guy is honest, he's truthful. And so, um, it really was, it, that was a big moment for me. And I, and so what I call it now wow. is, um, you, you choose your beverage, but co co <laughs> coffee diplomacy or beer diplomacy actually yeah. works really well and face-to-face -face well. matters and getting together with community leaders is part of your job as a director. Gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like that is probably one of the only things I don't regret leaving the city, but I wish that I would have, you know, not spent so much time wondering why this, why, why, why doesn't this person, uh, you know, understand what I'm trying to do? Why don't I, why don't, why aren't we getting along? And instead of just, I mean, we once tried to pick up the phone and talk, but you know, we should have said, let's go have the beer and let's go get out of the office, get yeah. out of a, you know, work setting and hash this out. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, what is it? What is it really, truly coming down to? And that really does make a huge difference. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so many times I feel like a lot of it is, uh, you know, people just, they just want to feel like they were heard. Right. And, you know, as much of a beating as I'm sure that was to hear those things said about you and, you know, your work and what you're doing, I feel like just being the elephant in the room, the good elephant in the room, you know, you... <laughs> You let them come. Okay. Well, I'm glad you got that off your chest now. Now, how can we move forward? You know, and I feel like a lot of times people get stuck in the being right versus moving forward. You know, like you were like, nope, not really, but I heard you. And now what can we do to move yeah. forward? So yeah. very powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that story. That was, that was amazing. Um, Yes, this is definitely going to be a two-part series. Like, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, but right now, we're going to bust into our last questions. Arianne's going to bring you into our uh, flash mix round. Flash mix All round. Right. I don't All know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, instead of the lightning round. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to know what your favorite book is that, you're, that you can recommend to all of us. Oof. I get or podcast yeah. <laughs> or... <laughs> video or TED talk yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, what so actually the, if, if I could give two books. Yes. yes. Give as many okay. as you want. So uh, these were books I read during my master's program um, that my professor, one of my professors had recommended I, I read. One was called Institutional Thinking. 
And um, that book is one of those books, I think everybody working in a leadership position, manager type position within government, they should read it. It's a quick read, short read, but um, you know, I think we, we have lost the value of institutional thinking. Um, and, and I will tell, in my view, we've lost that across the board. So much of what we're struggling with is the, the institutional thinking that created great institutions um, has been deeply eroded. So yeah. that book is critical. Um, the other one is uh, Plain Honest Men. Um, and realize it's a bit gender biased. Um, but uh, what I liked about that book, that book was uh, a historical uh, book on uh, that somebody gathered all of the notes from the Constitutional Convention. Wow. And they wrote this book of the arguments and what arguments were going on during the Constitutional Convention. And in my opinion, it's not only relevant today, um, because I oh, yeah. think we've lost the context of the arguments um, that were made around our own constitution. What we often yeah. forget about at a local government level, our rights and powers actually are derived from those early arguments. And we don't even realize that. Um, many of us don't realize that our authority in these local governments actually go all the way back to that. So if you don't understand that, um, I can't think of something better to help you understand your role in your position within a government. So those are my favorite books. Nice. Nice. And so what's one thing that you do every day that drives your productivity? Um, uh, exercise, um, but specifically, uh, I'm really into, uh, rock climbing. Oh. So, um, and, uh, what I, I, I coined the term. I, I, In Texas, we call that fence climbing. Okay. <laughs> well, so I, I, I call it, uh, yoga with consequences. So, oh um, yeah, um, <laughs> literally life or death. So yeah, but no, I I but it I love doing awesome. uh, activities that keep me outside and keep me actually breaks my mental thinking from work yeah. and allows me oh, yeah. to focus just kind of on my own thoughts a little. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm totally picturing you like Tom cruising at Mission Impossible right now, <laughs> just like Hitman on a mountain right now, like. The Tom Cruise of water. <laughs> um, so we always close with a similar question we ask all of our guests. Well, it's not similar. It's the same question. But um, so a lot of times in, in our work, when we've engaged with the public, we hear, well, you know, it doesn't really matter if I do it. I'm just one person. That's not really going to make a a big change. You know, I'm just one person. And obviously, Arianne and I both disagree wholeheartedly with that. We think that one person really can create uh, impact and change. And so what's the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you think could ultimately change the world? 
Wow. Um, <laughs> hmm. Um, you know, I, boy, the one thing. <laughs> That's a little tough. Uh, so, and I had read that question, and and I, I was gonna say, come I on. know, I did, and, he gave and me I, the question. I know, and I I've been thinking about it, but um, it's hard. it is a tough one. Um, but I guess what I would say is um, get get informed. Um, I, mm. I I mean, educate yourself, and and what I would check, what I what I mean by that is stop seeking information that validates what you already know or believe yes. yes can you say that one more time one more time stop <laughs> seeking information that validates what you already know or, or yes. what you're already comfortable with start seeking information that makes you uncomfortable start yeah. seeking information that <laughs> takes you outside your comfort zone um, yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, I, there, there's so many great books out there that can help you do that, that can, you know, challenge that. So, you know, find an author that maybe doesn't think like you at all. In fact, mm -hmm. maybe they come from a totally different view, read it and, and, yeah. and don't, don't spend every moment of reading it from the perspective of defending your own position, but read it from the perspective of understanding theirs. And, yeah, wow. you know, if we all did that, we may all be able to have much better conversations. And Gosh, in real in life, real yeah, life yeah. instead of these, what we now have is positional conversations. Gosh, right? Oh, That's yes. all, it, yeah. too much of the conversations we have today are, are arguing and defending positions rather yes. than seeking understanding and how we can move together as a society. Wow, absolutely. This is, wow, what an honor. <laughs> this conversation yes. is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for, we, we went over time and then I'm so glad that your schedule allowed for us to be able to finish the conversation because it's been amazing. So thank very you. Powerful. Yes, very powerful. Thank you. Where's the next place you're speaking? Um, I'm actually speaking at a conference here in Bend uh, in October. Um, it's kind okay. of funny and I'm kind of honored. Um, it's uh, the Northwest Oregon Planners so um, it's, and they've invited me as an engineer to speak to planners over this very issue that one of the things I'm telling planners is, so I've, as an engineer, I've had to learn how to speak planning language. Yeah. I'm telling planners, you got to learn how to speak engineering um, because yeah. that's how we're going to plan better communities. We got to start yeah. uh, speaking each other's languages better. So, so yeah, I'm speaking. Uh, I, I think an hour, hour and a half long. Are you, you going to write a book on how to speak engineer for us? <laughs> yeah, we can. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not the first person that's asked me that. <laughs> I think there's something there. I I have several times during this conversation looked up at this book called Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull, who founded Inc. who founded uh, Pixar. It's an incredible book about like leadership and management, and it's just it's one of my favorite books. And I'm just like, hmm, I feel like I'm talking to the Ed Catmull of 
the water industry. Wow. We need to get Tom to write a book. <laughs> we'll help you. <laughs> All right. I, I would take that help. So. <laughs> and I'll start by having you send me everything you wrote in grad school, including your thesis. I will, I will do that. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Amazing. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this conclusion of our conversation with Tom. We hope that it fired you up as much as it fired us up. Please, again, we encourage all of you to share this with every person you know in the industry. We just feel like it's such an incredibly powerful story and perspective for everyone to hear. Be sure to check out the show notes at theh2duo.com. They're timestamped if you want to go back and hear something again. And it also includes... Uh, the resources that were mentioned during the interview. Like we say all the time, if you never want to miss out on another Water in Real Life episode again, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just go to iTunes and search for Water in Real Life under podcasts. While you're there, consider giving us a rating and a review. The pesky California DMV audiobook and this random Australian audiobook keep on holding on to the number one and two categories and so the more subscriptions ratings and reviews we have um, the more chance we are to beat them let's get water number one y'all and you can also keep track of us and know when episodes drop by following us on social media go to at the underscore h2 duo that is the same on both twitter and instagram And if you yourself are needing help with your communication strategy uh, or content development, the H2 Duo also co-founded their own public communication consulting company called Rogue Water. And you can find out more about that at roguewatergroup.com. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, and most importantly, took action on something that leads you one step closer to your goal. Until the next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell stories rule the world.